uh, as you get ready and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, uh, just really wanted to say, you know, we're all blessed. And just a reminder that it's easy for us to forget how blessed we are. You know, blessings after blessings come upon us. And how do I know that? We're here today. First of all, we're alive and we're living. Most of us are healthy. And, you know, this is a, this is a crazy time, and many of us are doing really well. Um, we're, we have food on the table. You know, we have, we have a, a roof over our heads. And ultimately, we got Jesus still walking with us. And so we're so, so blessed. And it's just important for us to remember that today as we hear the word. So again, First Corinthians 11. I don't know why I'm thinking about Chronicles today. I, I think I've been doing some reading out of there, so I just kind of got my mind there. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what, I was, passed, what was also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when, you, when he had given thanks, thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the, this is the cup, and is the, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with, with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should eat all together. Anyone who is hungry shall eat something at home so that when, they, when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our lives practice. Let's pray. 
Lord, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for allowing us to worship you today and being here, Lord, Father, and having many blessings. And I just ask you, Lord, today to speak through Randy. Speak through him, Lord, Father, that it may enter our hearts, Lord, Father, and that a seed may be planted, Lord, so that we can be transformed. Help us, Lord, Father, hear what you have to tell us. Not just listen, but hear it, Lord. And help us, Lord, Father, be able to meditate on it day and night so that we may live by your will and your purpose. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate it. And hey, EHC family, it's good to be able to join you one more time in the way that we've been joining together online. And uh, I just want to say a couple of things. Um, First of all, I want to thank you because uh, as Eric had mentioned, the things that have already been given uh, financially for us uh, to go ahead and pass along to the community down there with the Gethsemane Orphanage, we're somewhere between $475 and $500 already donated by you. And that is not counting uh, some gifts that have been renewed since we've been talking about this through the GoFundMe page, which could be coming from our church family. So I thank you guys for giving us an opportunity to be a blessing to one of these ministries that we know. We've seen with our own eyes. We know the people that are there and uh, just are so grateful for you and your faithfulness. And uh, I also want to just mention a couple of things to you, just kind of a little bit of housekeeping, so to speak. I want to tell you that at the end of our message time, uh, we're going to have a family meeting, okay? Now, this doesn't mean anybody's in trouble. I just want you to breathe a little easier. I know that when I say family meeting at the house, the girls get a little nervous. Shelly doesn't get nervous because she's the real boss anyway. Y'all know that anyway. But So the truth is, is that ultimately... We're going to have a family meeting because we need to talk a little bit about what things look like in the days ahead. And so I encourage you that at the end, when we always end the way that we always end, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss you guys by saying what I say. But then after a minute or two, I'm going to come back and I'm going to share with you a family meeting. I should say probably about 30 seconds. So jump on and stay on for a little longer. And as Eric mentioned, we are going to celebrate communion. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this about me and my preaching or teaching or not, but I don't ever do any preaching and teaching uh, that's not in a sermon series. And I'll tell you why. You think I preach long now. I'm telling you, it would really be bad if I felt like I had to say everything that I wanted to say on a certain subject and topic all in one week. And it used to be that I was constantly going longer and longer than I wanted to because I had more to say. And so knowing that I can tackle that same subject and it fits cleanly and seamlessly with the next week's message has really helped me a lot. So it could be a whole lot worse, I guess is what I'm saying. But here's the truth. Today, we have finished up our Who Do You Think I Am series, and then next week is Mother's Day. You've been warned. Next week is Mother's Day. So because of that, I have just this one single week before I preach about Mother's Day and before uh, or at, at the end of Who Do You Think I Am, the I Am series that we just finished. And one of the things that I've wanted to do, and one of the things that I've missed a lot, and probably you have too, is just coming around the communion table and celebrating and worshiping together in the way that we do as we join together here at the Lord's Supper. And so I wanna do some more teaching than I normally do today. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about just some very, very practical, some very, very background things because 
I made an assumption. I always do this. I, I think I make lots of assumptions that there are things that are very clear that might not always be clear to each and every person. And so I want you to know that there's no dumb question. If it helps you to grow closer to God, it's not a dumb question for you to ask or you to not understand. It's a bigger tragedy to not simply ask the question and gain understanding. Today, I want to talk about some of the roots, some of the background, and some of the elements of communion. Because if you're around here, there are some of you that you come from a background where you literally took communion every single Sunday that you get uh, into the church uh, service and the church walls. There are some of you who did it once a year around the Passover time. There are some of you who did it once a quarter. For us around here, we don't have any set, uh, set and determined uh, time, but it is usually about five or six weeks. We try to gather around the Lord's table and just do that so each and every person who wants to be a part can always be aware that there is a time that they can gather at the Lord's table. But the truth is, is that some of you may not fully grasp some of the things that are really, really incredible to understand about communion. And so today I'm going to talk about those elements. And if you have some juice or wine that you want to uh, have there at your house uh, and you want to just share like a cracker or something of that nature and join together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I'm going to preach and teach about it, hopefully give you some insight that you have not heard before. And then in the process of it all, we'll come to the place where we celebrate at the Lord's table and even the 10 or so people that are helping us to broadcast this live stream to you today. You've already seen a couple of them that are here in front of the camera, Eric and Peter, two of my right-hand men that are just constantly here, but Scott and uh, his family, just a huge blessing getting this live stream out to you and doing some of the technical side, Haley and Tatum. And even my prayer warrior over there, Oscar Perez. So it is a blessing to have this group here. And uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit at the end of service as well. So hang tight. All right. So I've been sharing with you guys something to just kind of make you smile. And this has never been intended or designed to be something that makes you feel like uh, I'm not taking this seriously. But you know, there are a lot of us that understand that uh, those things that are going on out in the world can be uh, something that brings you down and even somewhat depressing at times because it's a difficult time, whether it's economically and most certainly physically and the mortality rate continues to rise. And so we are beginning to get to the place where they're kind of loosening the reins and coming to the place where we're going to be getting out into public a little more, but I've been trying to keep your spirits up and share some funny things with you. And I've been sharing a couple of El Arroyo signs from Austin. I've got more. And I know you'd be thinking, you've been doing this for three weeks. Hey, if they weren't all funny, I'd stop, but they still got funny stuff. So I'm sharing a couple more. So let's check out a couple of these. Here is just an idea of what the El Arroyo signs are similar to. So Unless you fell on the treadmill, no one wants to hear about your workout. That's just an idea of kind of what the whole El Arroyo vibe is all about, man. They're just constantly coming up with a sign that stays out there for a day and makes people who drive by their location in Austin smile. So let's check out some that are a little bit more of today. Due to quarantine, we will only be telling inside jokes from now on. You can kind of let that one sit for a minute, all right? Uh, but yeah, you know, pretty good. All right. Children may be deductible, but they are still taxing. Can I get an amen from somebody who's been quarantined just a little too long? Amen. Right. All right. Some of, some of you who are here are saying a little amen too loud, but all right, check out this next one. 
I'm getting way too comfortable looking this ugly all the time. <laughs> I thought that was great. Oh, that's so good. Uh, yeah, not a lot of makeup being sold, I would guess. All right, let's check out this next one. It's better to be happy in sweatpants than to be sad in jeans. I think a lot of us are getting a lot more comfortable wearing sweatpants all throughout the day with this quarantine going on. All right, now let's check out this last one, I think. I need to practice some social distancing from the fridge. Uh, I don't know if you've had that experience or not. Um, one of these signs said, uh, how's your summer body looking? Mine's looking like I got a good personality, which I thought was hilarious as well. So anyway, that's an El Arroyo sign that didn't make it, but you get it. All right, well, today I want to talk with you about communion and what it means, some of its roots and some of its background. So let's take off and let's talk about communion today. So let's begin in this place. If you looked at Jesus and you understood what he was saying to his disciples, he often warned them and said, I tell you the truth, I'm going to be going away. We know that in the upper room discourse between John chapter 13 and John chapter 18, we know that Jesus had a lot to say and he warned his disciples that he'd be going away. But if you really look at it, I, uh, I would say that the things that they needed to know about why he was going to be laying down his life and some of those things that they needed to know as they went forward and understanding what Jesus was doing, they weren't really addressed by Jesus in a lot of ways. But what he did was an amazing thing that we can grasp. Now, let me just put up a couple of signs, or, pardon me, a couple of pictures, and then we'll talk about what Jesus did and how this applies. If you're like me, you love courtroom dramas. You love to see people going back and forth in the legal system and it goes on and on. If you've ever been in a courtroom, this is what it looks like. It's just one single person over there sitting at what's called a stenograph machine. If you don't know who they are, they are a court reporter. And it is their job to take shorthand notes of everything that is being said by everybody that says it. And so literally at any point, the lawyer or the judge himself can stop the proceedings and say, can you read back that answer or can you read back what was just said or what was just asked? Here's another picture of it. And you could probably uh, see something like this on television as you look at a court reporter. But this is actually exactly what Jesus did. Because when things are coming at you fast and furious, one of the best things that you can possibly do is to anchor something to something that's already firmly set in your mind. And let's be very, very clear. If you are not clear on this, be very clear on this. And that is the fact that Jesus was a Jew and he is firmly rooted in Jewish traditions. And the 11 men that were left after Judas betrayed him were all Jewish men. And so for literally all of their lives, some of them for two, three, four, maybe even five decades, depending on their age when Christ left this earth, we know this about them. If you said to them, this is the Passover and this is why I've come, they locked into everything in a shorthand way that just clicked for them. And so when Jesus said, this is not just bread. This bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this not in remembrance of the time that you celebrated the Exodus, but do this in remembrance of me and what I'm about to do. 
or when he poured the wine and he said, take this cup and drink from it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you declare the Exodus. No, 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 no. He said, you declare my death until the day that I return to take you home. He shorthanded everything that they've been taught and experiencing for decades. And he said, all of these elements, they've been pointing to me. And now from this point forward, instead of looking back on the history of Israel, from this point forward, you look towards me because I am now the fulfillment of all these things that God has been promising to fulfill for literally millennia, literally millennia. And so it is so amazing to think about the Jewish roots to these Jewish men who took and left this place understanding a lot about what Jesus was doing as he became our Passover lamb. Behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And so today I want to, actually, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do two different something to learns because I think there's a lot to go into and there's a couple of things that I really want to make sure that you get. So let's check out our very first something to learn. The Old Testament symbolism, concepts, and practices from the Passover feast became the Lord's Supper for New Testament believers and Christ followers. He took all of those symbols and signs and all of those practices and shifted them into a brand new direction and the believers understood it. Now let's go to this next slide as we understand. This is Jesus. Right before he leaves this earth and leaves his disciples behind in Luke chapter 22, verse 14 through 17, here's what he said. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this last supper with you. No, 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 no. That's not what he said. Not this last supper, not this communion. He said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So in other words, Jesus was saying the Passover meal that we have celebrated, we're about to celebrate it, but it's got a brand new focus and a brand new meaning. And so let's check out this next slide as well. And this is something that I do not want you to miss. Uh, this is something to learn, okay? The Lord's Supper, Eucharist, Mass, Holy Communion, Communion, the Last Supper. If you have not grown up in church, you may wonder, well, I wonder which one we're doing today. Here's the truth, they're all the same. They're all the same. The, the Catholics refer to it as mass. And so if you grew up in the Catholic tradition, I know it's different. I know we do it differently, but the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, mass, Holy Communion, communion, the last supper, they all refer to the same exact thing. And that is the Lord's last meal with his disciples as they were about to leave from that upper room that they were celebrating in and eventually go and uh, he would be found in Gethsemane, betrayed by Judas, and then ultimately to the cross. And so let's be very, very clear here. Um, we wanna make sure that you understand, if you remember last week, I talked about how it's not important to be churchy. Uh, Thomas was not churchy. He wasn't a guy who had all the right answers, but he was a guy who was very close to Christ, eventually giving his life rather than uh, turning his back on his testimony. I love that there are people that don't understand these things and it's brand new news to them, but ultimately don't ever feel bad if it's news to you or you don't get it 
man, just ask the question. There's no shame at all in not having all the right answers because you didn't grow up in church. As a matter of fact, I would say to you, that's why I get such a charge out of our church family. A lot of you guys are not people that grew up in church. Maybe you have, but you spent literally years or even decades away. Or even today, if you're tuning in today and you say, you know what? Church has never been important to me, but God is speaking to me in this place. Man, there's nothing in the world that I get more charged up about than people who don't necessarily care at all about Jesus that come to know him and love him in the way that we do here. And so I just, I'm excited about it. Don't ever feel bad about that. Here's something that I don't want you to miss. Let's check out this. Don't miss this. One of 12 that's eventually became 11 of the men that were followed, called to follow Christ here in his earthly ministry, those men were known as disciples. And then there were 12 apostles, and a lot of them bled over. But let's be very clear, disciples and apostles basically are one and the same. But the apostles are men that have been sent out to share the news of Christ but they had to have a prerequisite, and that prerequisite was that they had to have seen the Lord personally. Now, I thank you for reading along in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as Peter read the scriptures. But as you read that passage, the apostle Paul speaks to the people at Corinth, and there's something really, really interesting that I want you to check out. So as you listen to Peter reading that, here's what was happening. These people who... And like many of us, we didn't have all the right answers. They didn't fully grasp or understand how they were supposed to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Paul was trying to straighten it out and make sure that they were doing it in a way that brought them together as a body of Christ, the, the body universal, the church with the big C, not the church, you know, from around the corner, the church universal that includes all of God's believers all throughout the centuries and millennia to this day and all around the world, even to this day. Well, here's what we know. The church at Corinth was struggling because they didn't grasp that what they were supposed to do was to be having a time together that was a lot more about celebrating the Lord's Supper and communion, communion, which means commune or getting together or fellowship together. They missed the communion part and they focused on the supper part. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, now you don't have to look very hard at me to figure out Food and I are good friends. Like we enjoy one another's company. And uh, I even have had women uh, like my wife's grandmother smile at me and watch me eat and say, I just love to cook for you because I can tell you love it. Well, uh, you know, I love it and you can tell, right? Okay, so here's the thing. The problem with the church at Corinth was they were getting totally hung up about the supper part and missing the fellowship part. And I've even said this from this pulpit as you were actually here, that it doesn't matter what we're serving in a fellowship dinner, you stay for the fellowship, not for the dinner, right? And so this group of people at Corinth didn't grasp it. They didn't fully understand because it tells us that they were bringing food and that there were some that were wealthy in the congregation. And so they came with this big spread and then they'd sit over to themselves and they'd be chowing down and eating on this incredible food and feast. And then there would be poor people who would come in and sit in the community and be looking around going, uh, I don't really have anything. And so some would leave stuffed to the gills and some would leave hungry. And Paul said, I've got zero praise for you. You're doing more harm than good. 
Because one person enters your fellowship and they go hungry. And then we sit down at the Lord's Supper and you go away stuffed, but never sharing anything of yours with someone who needed it. He said, I've got zero praise for you. So he goes through and he talks about some things and he makes sure that everybody understands that when we come together as a body and we have communion or holy communion or the Eucharist or whatever you choose to call it, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you know, if you've been here for a little while, you know some of the things that I say. I tell you that it doesn't matter if you're here for the very first time that this is not the Eagle Heights Church Supper. This is the Lord's Supper. And so you are invited to join us because this is not my supper. This is not our supper. This is not our church body supper. This is the Lord's Supper. And you are invited to participate. And you also know that almost every single time I have people like Chris Kaczynski or Oscar uh, Perez go out and, and pass out those elements and all of the different people that go out and pass out those elements, I always ask right before we begin and begin to pray and bless and, and begin to eat the elements, the, the bread and the wine, I always ask and I say, has everybody been served? That's not an accident. I never ever want you to feel that this thing that brings us together, that this thing that connects us to God and to his followers for millennia puts you on the outside and puts you in a place where you are far from God and far from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I want to remind you that as we celebrate today, this is God's supper for you. And we do that in this way because of some very specific things. Now, I also wanna make sure that you don't miss something. We talked about the Apostle Paul and how he was an apostle, but what was one of those things that you had to have done to be an apostle? You had to have seen the Lord. And so this is very interesting because before Paul ever became a follower of Christ, Christ was crucified. Paul met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts. And so one of the most powerful men in the early church never laid physical eyes on Jesus, but Jesus appeared to him in such a powerful way and called him in such a powerful way that he was clearly an apostle. And there's actually three different things that we share here from 1 Corinthians 9, Galatians 2, and 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is all of the different times that Paul just says, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, um, just like Peter was uh, at work in the Jews. I am um, at work among the Gentiles. He was very clear about the fact that he was an apostle. And one of the things that we know about Paul's life was, was that there are at least two or three different times that we know of from scripture alone, where God gets a hold of him and in a vision clearly um, makes himself known to Paul and it's a turning point. And this is actually one of them. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to make sure that you catch this because this is probably something that you don't really catch or clue into. But actually what Paul says, and this is the passage that I read almost every time that we share around communion from 1 Corinthians 11, not from the Gospels, believe it or not. It's not because one is better or another, but I just like the clarity in 1 Corinthians 11. But here's what Paul says. For what I receive from the Lord, I also pass on to you. 
So what is he saying? He then goes from that point in and he, te- and he tells and he talks about the, the, the Lord's Supper and communion. He says very clearly, not I learned it from the people that were there. I talked to John and he told me all about it. I talked to the apostle Peter or Peter, James and John sat me down one day and told me so I could grasp and understand. He never said that. He said, what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. So be very, very clear. Communion was so important and so vital for Paul to grasp and understand that Jesus appeared to him and clearly passed on what the Last Supper meant, its connections to Passover, and what it was to mean going forward. That tells us one really, really important thing, that God sees communion as an incredibly important thing for us to grasp and us to participate in. Now, I'm going to get into this at the end of service and at the end of our time together I don't believe that communion saves you. I don't believe that you become a Christian the moment that you take communion. I believe it is a symbolic remembering of the thing that Jesus did for us. It is also a symbolic receiving of those things that Jesus did for us. His broken body, his blood that was shed for us. You don't become a person who is a Christian or a Christ follower but walking through those doors one day that we happen to be sharing communion, coming up, grabbing a couple of elements of communion, and then walking away and never coming to the Lord and giving him your life. No, that is not at all what communion is about. I don't want you to get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. Communion is a pathway that takes you to the presence and the transforming power of God. It is not the thing that saves your soul. That's Christ and Christ alone. Don't ever get it twisted, okay? So as we talk about this, though, let's not get it twisted that it's not a big deal or it's not important. If it's important enough to Jesus to appear to Paul and say, I want you to understand this, not to hear it from secondhand knowledge, but to hear it from my own lips to your ears, it was incredibly important. And so let's share a little bit about what we know. Here is the big idea. Celebrating communion connects us with God and history. And I I would say history is his story. You go back and and there's a a word in uh, Christian circles that's called redemptive history. It traces the acts of God from the very beginning of the world all the way through today in modern day. Tracing the finger of God, tracing the movement of God and God's people. It is his story. And this is what we remember and commemorate. That that means to show reverence and participate in. So we celebrate communion. It connects us with God and history. And that means about 2,000 years of history and his story, if you're just dealing with the Christian faith. Or if you connect the Christian faith as we do with its Jewish roots, that means it goes back about 3,500 years. Now stop and think about that. Christ followers and God followers have been doing what we do, celebrating God's power and his ability to set us free. They've been celebrating it for 3,500 years nonstop. Man, that is a beautiful thing. And it makes me feel rooted and connected to the God who has always had you and me on his mind. 
Now, I want to talk a little bit about Passover, and uh, let me be very clear. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the Jewish elements of Passover, and I want to just kind of throw them up there. We'll talk about each one, and then we're going to talk about some of the things that you may or may not have noticed, but in the process, you may have missed uh, as we celebrate. So Passover for non-Jews. Let's just say that this is the most important of all the festivals that God has in his word. And it's no accident that this is the time that Easter and Passover fall around the same time every year. Because Jesus took the Passover imagery and the Passover celebration and made it about himself. And so Easter and his sacrifice uh, of his death and then the uh, raising again from the, uh, from the uh, dead, it all came to the place where it fit together with Passover. It's not an accident. It commemorates the Exodus as you go back. And that's when you know the story of the 10 plagues and where the plague of the firstborn son being killed. And the only way to avoid that plague touching your life, even if you were a Jew, was to take the blood of a lamb and then take it and put it on the side posts and on the cross beam of the door. And then as the death angel passed through Egypt and many, many people were killed that night, the blood prevented the, the sacrifice of that person in your house that it would have come for. And let's be also very clear, it's a pilgrimage festival. That means that many Jews all around the world, wherever they may be uh, spread and wherever they may be living, people living in New York, we've got lots of uh, Jewish population in New York, a lot of them in Los Angeles and lots and lots of other places in between. But at the end of the Passover meal and feast, it's very clear why this is so important. It's a pilgrimage feast. And that means that if you're a Jew who's very serious about your faith, most of the time, at least once in your life, you want to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem during that one particular high feast. And at the very end of that Passover meal, and I'm going to try my very best to speak some Hebrew here, here is what one of the other uh, websites that I was reading said. Having carried out the Seder, and the service properly, we are sure that it has been well received by the Almighty. And so then we end that time by saying these words, Lashana Habahah Be Yaru Shalahim, which means next year in Jerusalem. Next year, this feast in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if they always mean it or not, but it brings new light to the fact when Jesus says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That means you, as often as you remember his death, remember that one day what is now symbolized will eventually become real. In the presence of God, we will eat. And Jesus said, I'm not going to eat this bread and drink this cup. I'm not going to celebrate this Passover until we do it anew in the kingdom of God and when it's been fully realized. He's waiting on us to celebrate and isn't that a beautiful thing? Man, it just gives me chills to just even think about it. All right. So, all right. So as we talk about the Passover, it packs Jerusalem with people. And Jesus as the Passover lamb is wanting to make sure that as many people as possible can witness what he does as the Passover lamb. And so he does it when the city is swollen with pilgrims and their imagery is fresh on all of their mind. It is a powerful thing that Easter and Good Friday are so powerfully connected and constantly connected with Passover.
All right, so let's do this. Let's think about, let's just close your eyes with me for just a quick second. Close your eyes and think about Jesus and his disciples in the upper room celebrating the Last Supper. Now, let me show you a picture of what was in your mind just now. This is what was in your mind. Be honest, right? I mean, let's be clear. This is not an accurate depiction of Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. It is not. If you think of this, that makes you human. I know that this is not what it looked like. But when I close my eyes and I think of the Last Supper, I think of this painting, which we had kind of in, all right, I'm sorry, mom and dad. I know y'all said you'd be watching, okay? But we had like a velvet painting in our house uh, of this picture, and it was like velvet. And, and I know that that, I don't know if you guys like velvet paintings, like I like velvet paintings, you know, but Okay, maybe it's not the classiest thing ever, but we had this image. And so when I close my eyes, I think about the communion and the final supper and the, 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 the Eucharist being introduced. And this is the image that I get. But here's the news that you need to make sure and understand. This is painted by da Vinci, not by somebody who was there. Let's be very clear about that. And let's also be very clear. We read this passage a minute ago from Luke chapter 22. Yeah, there's Da Vinci right there. And even though he's got an incredibly cool beard and a pretty cool hat, um, he doesn't have the cornered market on actually knowing what things were going on at the last supper. Now let's go to the next slide real quickly. And, uh, yeah, just a, an aside, just kind of a throw in line. Mona Lisa, controversial opinion, overrated. I mean, honest, I'm just not into it. Uh, just not into it at all, you know? So this was painted in what? 1503 to 1519. They actually know specifically the fresco in Milan and the place that it was painted when he painted the Last Supper. We know specifically that was painted in 1498. So almost 1500 years later before da Vinci even tried to put uh, oil to canvas or, or, or to um, the fresco that he was painting to even depict this. So we know it's not right. And if you look closely, you'll see that they were sitting at a table that came into vogue later. That was a European thing, not a Jewish thing. And let's be very clear, those pieces of bread that you see, those are leavened loaves. And this was unleavened bread, which was a whole lot more like a pita or uh, even a cracker. And let's be also very clear that the table that they would have sat at was this high off of the ground, not this high in the way that we would do it. And let's also be very, very clear that part of the communion was that we would all eat together from the same um, plates and, and drink from the same cup. All of that's happening. And yet in this painting, you'll see that everybody's got their own plate. Everybody's got their own utensils and all these things. So it's not even close to accurate. It's a good painting. I, I, I'm not trying to downgrade it. And if you're into the, the last supper, man, go for it. I love this painting. I really do velvet or not. All right. But here's what I would say. This is not accurate because we need to remember that Jesus was a Jew. And in Luke chapter 22, if you read that closely, I actually underlined because it says that Jesus and his disciples were reclining at the table. This is actually a part of the Passover feast that they would put up their feet 
And that's part of why the foot washing in John chapter 13 was so important. And so they'd put up their feet and they'd lean back and they'd be sitting on pillows along kind of like you have seen many uh, Arab countries do and uh, Jewish countries do. These things happened in Jesus's day because Jesus and his followers were Jews. They weren't Europeans. And so they reclined at the table. And so be very clear about that. And let me just say real quickly, Passover was different than what you and I grasp. We kind of have an idea, but it was actually a festival all night long. Now, the good news is, is I'm not going to preach about this all night, okay? We're moving on pretty quickly and we're going to be wrapping up soon. But here is the truth. This was a festival and a Passover meal would take sometimes the entire night, a minimum of two to three hours, and it would be very ritualized. And you were even uh, expected to be a participant. Uh, and so if you were a kid, you had your lines. And we would all say the same things together each and every year. It was the same things, the same ways, in the same order to all to commemorate that exodus where God showed up and saved his people from their bondage. So let's just check out what are some of the elements of the Passover. All right, so the four Passover feast elements, you can see that there were four cups of wine. And I know some of y'all are like, oh, I'm into this. All right, well, just, just settle down, okay? Simmer down. Here's the truth. That the truth is, is that biblical wine was not strong. They could not, um, they could not trust that drinking water was safe, and that's why there was always wine. And so they could not trust and bank on clean water the way that we do. Um, yeah, a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, we've had some difficulties with our, uh, with our different things that are going on um, with our internet. And that is where our lights are connected. So if that has happened and you're seeing me in the dark, first of all, praise God for that. Amen. Uh, you can get the content and not have to deal with the person that's bringing it to you. But uh, as that comes back on, we continue. Here is what we know. The four cups of wine, they were all done via ceremony. And they were not just one cup, two cup, three cup, four cup. No, it wasn't like that at all. It was one cup of wine that very slowly and very methodically and very ceremonially, somebody would say, this is the cup and this is why we remember what God has done and what God has given. And so let's all drink together. And then they would drink. And then they'd eat a little bit more and eat a little bit more and they'd share a little bit of scripture and maybe even sing a little bit. And then they'd say, and now the second cup, I want to just say, this is where God showed up and, and they tell a little more of the story, a little bit more ceremony, a few words that are very ritualized. And then the second cup of wine. And again, we're talking about four cups of wine over two, three hours. This wasn't some drunken thing. This was something that was really intended to honor God. And so let's keep going and understand a little bit more about the Passover. So um, you can see actually in Luke 22, you might have noticed and you might not have ever noticed, but it says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take and divide this among you. And then he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 20, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So the cup is there twice. It's almost like a misprint, but it's not. If you realize in the Passover feast, 
It was four different cups at four very scheduled and ritualized times. And so when Jesus takes the cup the second time, they're very specific. It's the cup that was after they ate the bread. And it's like, oh, cling, now I got it. It just clicked in and you understand that Jesus is telling his followers in a shorthand way, this new cup is a new covenant and I want you to remember me and my shed blood from this point forward. All right, let's just go to this next slide here. There is matzah. How many of you have ever heard of matzah ball soup, right? So you may have even eaten matzah or matzah ball. Um, and this is true, okay? And even Jewish people will tell you this. This ain't the best bread you've ever stuck in your mouth. My favorite bread that I've ever eaten is actually from Serbia. Um, it is amazing bread. It's like sourdough and it's yeast and it's risen and all this stuff. But here's the thing. The reason that this is flat cracker like pita style bread is because there was zero yeast in it. That means that they could not let that yeast rise. There was some time that was always important for that to happen, but they didn't do that over the night of the Passover because they had to be ready when God said, leave and go and take your exodus. They had to be ready. They couldn't say, well, we, we haven't eaten yet because the bread's not risen and we didn't throw it in the oven. When they said go, or when God said go, they had to be ready to leave. And so they eat this flat cracker-like bread it's very specific. The reason is they have to be ready to go. And if you are a Jew, even the night of Passover, when you have this Seder meal and then you go into the next day, you literally sleep with your coat on because you were supposed to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. And so in honor of that thing that God did for you as he expelled you from Egypt and gave you a new promised land to be a part of, you literally sleep in your coat to remember that God brings freedom and be ready when that time comes. So that's what is going on in these four feast elements. The cup of wine that we talked about, and let's never forget, that's a lot more like what it looked like as we look at Jesus there. That's Jim Caviezel in the Passion of the Christ, and I can't hardly watch Caviezel in anything now that he was Christ, you know. You know, he shows up in person of interest, and I'm like, that's Jesus in there. What's that all about? But anyway, that's a whole other issue. Y'all pray for me. Um, yeah, maybe some of y'all are commenting on that, and you agree. All right, so here are the feast elements. Here's the third one very quickly. Let's talk about this. The third element is the retelling of that Exodus story, and we've already talked about the plagues. I won't belabor that point. But then the fourth element that we see here as we go on, the Passover lamb as a sacrifice. The Passover lamb as a sacrifice. And let's be very, very clear. This is the last meal that Jesus will eat with his disciples. But do you remember what was said about Jesus in John chapter one? When John the Baptist saw him afar off and when he was just gaining disciples and there were disciples that were literally following John the Baptist, but he pointed them as the forerunner of Christ. He pointed them and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they left his side and his followership and became followers of Jesus Christ. Why now at the last supper and probably the last good conversation and private moment that he has with his disciples, he basically steps into that role and he says, I am that Passover lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And you're about to see it. 
It's, it's, it's beautiful, the symmetry, and it is incredible the way that it all comes together. It's almost like God had a plan. <laughs> so here is the big question that you may have in your mind. Who can celebrate communion? I want to be very clear about something. I think for us as Protestant Christians, and some of you have grown up Catholic, and you're a part of this church, and Man, that's wonderful. We're glad that you're here. You don't have to have any background or any background, so to speak. Um, You can be a follower of Christ no matter who you are. But if you are a person who has a Catholic background, you might have heard that Holy Communion is the thing which brings you, you know, to God's presence and, and saves your soul. And they'll even talk about at Catholic funerals the fact that this person is now in the presence of God because they have eaten the, ble- uh, eaten the body and drank the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to share with you. I believe that we as Protestants distance ourselves from these paths to Christ, but we do so at our own detriment. And here's what I mean. I'm not going to be any more married than I am right now than I have been for almost 30 years now. But there are times where Shelly and I can finish each other's sentences and that we are right lockstep with one another. And it's just an incredible joy and the fellowship is wonderful and sweet. Believe it or not, as quiet as she is, she's one of the funniest people I know. And so we just enjoy one another's company. She laughs at my jokes, I laugh at her jokes. And we just have this great, incredible fellowship. It doesn't mean we're more married than we are even when we can't seem to get on the same page no matter what we do, which also happens sometimes for weeks and even months at a time where we just can't land on the same page together. I don't know why that is. I just know that it is. But here's what I would say. Part of the reason that we do this regularly and not once a year, once a quarter. I don't want you to go too long without stepping foot on a path that brings you back to God's presence. Communion is called communion because it is a reconnection with God. Never miss that it is the Lord's Supper, and you can focus on the supper like they did in 1 Corinthians, or you can understand that it is communion And it is about communing, connecting with God and with his people. And here's what I believe. I believe sometimes as Protestants, we're so quick to distance ourselves. Oh, that's not the thing that brings you to God. No, 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 it's not that. Believe that, fine. But here's what I know. I need these kinds of things that bring me back to God's presence, even when I just can't seem to get on the same page as God. Now, I'm not anymore saved But there are times where the fellowship with Jesus is so sweet and is so beautiful and it is so perfect and it is so easy. And then there are times that even as a pastor, maybe this will be something that encourages you, but even as a pastor, man, I just can't seem to get connected with him. It's like it's a struggle just to hear his voice and hear his leadership in my life. But then there are times like this that lead me back to him and put me back on that path and reunite me with the God who gave himself for me. And I can't even tell you that it happens every single time, but I will tell you that there have been plenty of times in my life 
where I was going my own way and couldn't find my path back to that sweet fellowship place. And then I've celebrated communion. I've broke down and I've cried and I've uh, committed myself all over again to being his and his child. And it is a beautiful thing. And so I encourage you, this is what communion is about. It's about reconnecting with God. That is what it is all about. Now, let me be very clear about something. I know we even talked a little bit about this last week and I talked with you and even wrote down who is it that can celebrate communion? And I wrote, who can participate in communion? Can an unbeliever, what if I'm not as close to God as I should be? Will it save me and make me right in God's eyes? I've already shared with you about that last thing. Here's what I would say. Here's what the Bible tells me. And I want to be very, very clear. A, Judas was there at the Last Supper. He didn't say, Judas, get on out. We already know what you're going to do. Go on out. You know, we're about to do something that's just for believers. Judas was there. And so if you are a person who doesn't yet know God, I want you to be very, very careful and understand that you are treading on sacred ground. But if you are trying to figure out if you want to be a Christ follower and you're not quite sure you want to cross that line of commitment, I don't think that it's wrong for you to celebrate the Lord's Supper because he gives himself and offers himself to you. Just be very careful and cautious that you don't act like it's a joke or that it's just a pure ritual. No, in the same way that I can't watch the passion of the Christ again because it hurts me, this is different. This isn't just a ceremony where you light a candle and you say a prayer and you keep moving. No, this is something very sacred. Jesus said, I'm giving myself to you and for you. Don't take it lightly. But here is what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 11. It says that every man is supposed to examine themselves. I believe that's up here on the screen. Every man is supposed to examine themselves to see where they stand with God. It's not my job as your pastor to tell you whether you can or cannot. It is your job as a person to say, God, I want to get closer to you. I'm not a full Christian. I'm not a person, but I'm curious. Can I celebrate? I would say yes. Anything that brings you closer to God is a good thing if you are doing it with the right intentions and the right heart. So I encourage you, even if you're not a Christ follower, even if you're not a full believer, but you want to celebrate communion, I encourage you to do that. Just do so in a way that brings honor to what Christ's sacrifice meant in this world. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And let's be very clear, that's so important. And so let's go this way to I apply by. I would encourage you, here's how you apply this message. You join the family. You join the family. You realize that his body was broken and his blood was shed and it was all for you, just like it was all for me. So join the family. Be a part of this Lord's Supper. Be a part of the family get together at this place and in this, in this way. And I encourage you, today is a beautiful opportunity for you to give your heart to Christ. And if you do, man, please shoot me a text. 
shoot me an email. You can find ways to connect with me via the, the website, as well as some of the things that I've been emailing you or whatever it might be. You probably have my text number, but I'd love to hear if you accept Christ and this is your first time, or if you are a person who knows that you've been wandering from him, but you need to come back and rededicate. Today is a beautiful day as we remember what Christ has done. I tell you, this is your Passover lamb that is sacrificed for your sins. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here's what I would say to you. If you are a person who is a believer, but you need to come back, make sure and use this as a way to connect and commune with God who provided a way, the way for you and I to be with him forever. Well, This is what communion is all about. I hope you will never look at it in the same way again. And I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we will watch a quick movie, and then we will celebrate together around the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the freedom that comes. Thank you for the sacrifice that was given. And thank you, Lord, for knowing who we are and how frail and how changeable we are and yet loving us anyway and pursuing us anyway. Dear God, be with us today as we celebrate and commemorate all that you have done to remove every barrier and obstacle between sinful man and holy God. And this day, Lord, be glorified, we pray, and draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name, we ask. Amen. So I'm going to ask that the members of the congregation that are at home, that you would take your elements and the handful of folks that are here, I'm going to invite you to come and to receive each element. If you would like to participate, no pressure if that's not your desire, but if you would like to come and participate by taking of the bread and taking a cup, then come and do so Right now, I'm going to have each of you come on your own rather than being served. So if give you just a moment to come and give you a moment to have yours at home uh, brought out and shared with your family. For what I received from the Lord, I pass along to you as of first importance. The Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper being ended, he took the cup and said, take and drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, thank you. We celebrate and remember you, all that you have done and all that you are. And we celebrate today together, connected to those who have done this for millennia before us. And Lord, one day in your very presence, we will take the bread and take the cup and we will take it from your hand. And all will be made whole and all of us will be home. And until then, we remember you. In Jesus' name we pray. Church family, miss you guys. Love y'all very, very much. And uh, looking forward to the time in the not too distant future where we're going to celebrate this together in the way that we usually do.
Don't forget, if you are here uh, at this point in the service, I am going to be having a little family meeting about when we will begin meeting in person and what that looks like. And uh, I just want to say thank you for taking the time. For some of you, you're leaving, so we're going to end the way that we always do. We've just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. God bless you. Love you. Stay safe. Take care. Okay, so church family meeting time. I just want to talk with you guys for a few moments and uh, just kind of tell you a little bit about what our plan is moving forward. I want to just tell you, uh, I want to talk about this in a in an overview and then tell you that I've been talking with a number of you whose opinions that I respect and uh, some of those are in the medical field and just talking with them about what things look like moving forward. So let's begin here. I'm very, very um, careful and cautious about the way that things are done in God's house. Maybe it might not look like that, and maybe that doesn't always come through, but I promise you, whenever someone steps up here to read the scriptures or to share with you, or as Peter shared the scriptures and shared his uh, insight and understanding that he shared a couple weeks ago in such a wonderful way, that's not by accident. These are people that you can trust and people that you know uh, you can follow their example. And... uh, I do want to take that very, very seriously. I'm very, very jealous for God's kingdom work and making sure that it always has the right kind of reputation among the people who are outside the congregation. I also want to tell you that one of the things that I'm most proud of, and actually even one of the handful of people that's here today, came to know about this church body through our outreaches uh, during Hurricane Harvey. Some of you at home are people that came to know about us through Hurricane Harvey. Very, very cautious and very, very jealous that the good name among our community, not just our community, but in our community that we reach, and that is our mission field that we should be making a difference in, it never has anything negative to say that has grounds or merit. I always want this to be a place where you can unequivocally say this place does it right as best they possibly can. They may miss it, up, miss it a little bit or mess it up here or there, but ultimately, we want to be a place where people can say, that's a real place of fellowship, and it's not about them, it's about God. Here's how that fits in our world and our COVID-19 coronavirus stuff that we're dealing with. Your safety and your confidence And the reputation of our church body is absolutely paramount to me. When I ask you to come here, I never want you to feel like it's an unsafe place. We have a safety team to make sure that people are safe when they're here worshiping. We make sure that the people in the back that take care of our babies and our children are people that are trustworthy. And so I want to always be able to give you an opportunity to worship God in a place where you can put your full faith and trust that this is a place you can be confident in. I don't want anyone to come and be here and then leave having been put in harm's way or in a way that I honestly know is putting them in harm's way or making them a little less safe. 
I'm in no hurry for us to start meeting together again. And it's not because I don't miss you or because I don't think that this is important. As a matter of fact, this is kind of a, a testament and a, a way of saying thank you. You have been faithful. Some of you have even given more financially. Our church has not taken a nosedive financially. It, it, it's instead, it's, it's come close to maintaining and even some of you have gone beyond where you used to give because the cause of Christ means something to you. We can wait a couple of days and not be in financial straits or serious problems or anything like that. And if we can wait a couple of weeks and for once be happy that humidity and 90 degree temperatures come and help us with this COVID-19 getting out of here, maybe some of these days that give us just a little bit more time to be socially distant Maybe they will help us to make sure that when I say, let's come back together, that I can do so with full confidence that you and your children are going to be coming to a place where you're safe. For right now, I don't feel that freedom. I've spoken to some of you who are nurses, some of you who are in the medical field, some of you who are people that I trust your judgment, and I believe that you have insight. I've prayed about this. I don't feel good about us coming back together, obviously not this week. Next week is Mother's Day. You've been warned twice. I don't want to come together on Mother's Day. I want to wait one more week, which puts us right at the opening of phase two. Now, I understand what Governor Abbott has said, and I honor what he is trying to do. There are some churches that literally are scrapping for their financial existence because their, their offerings have stopped and ceased and their people haven't remained faithful. Again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart that you have remained faithful, but we don't need to rush back. We're able to connect. Kendall is gonna be sharing some things with your kids. There's ways that we can stay connected via Zoom Bible study and the different things. And I do miss you guys, I really do. But we are still connected in some ways, maybe more than ever before. So because of that, I wanna be very careful and cautious. As best I know, with your permission to change as needed, I will say this. I believe that we will again open the doors for our meetings to resume probably in two weeks from today. This is still up in the air. And if things change and the wave begins to build once more, that curve that we've been trying to flatten begins to arc once again and danger kind of rears its head we may have to change that. But for right now, it looks like May 17th, which is basically one day before phase two opens here in Texas. And so let me just say that's the plan as it stands. And from some of the people that have given me input, you feel that that's probably prudent and wise. And when that happens, I want you to know what that's gonna look like. You know we're a hugging church. You know we're a handshaking church. That's how we roll. That's what we do. And that's who I am. Like, that's a part of what I want my church body to be. But for a little while, we're going to have people wearing masks. We're going to have some of the rows eliminated. So you'll be socially distanced from the people that are near you, even in this place. Also, one of the big concerns is that we do not feel confident 
or even that somebody who is a volunteer here teaching children and taking care of children should not necessarily be held responsible to watch over kids and children. So because of that, when we do resume, we will do so as you come in wearing a mask, socially distanced here, with only fist bumps at the very most, maybe even a virtual hug, you know, Wakanda forever kind of hug, all right? And so that kind of thing. But ultimately, if you feel comfortable and connected by staying home, stay home. We will begin and resume children's classes the first week of June as it stands and as the current plan is right now. Because just to be very honest, it's hard to get kids to understand social distancing and to remember it. It's hard enough for me and I'm almost 50 years old. So you understand. We want you to be safe. We want you to always be proud of this place. We want our church to have a good reputation as followers of Christ and a part of this community in a way that we can all be proud of, not a place where there was an outbreak. So because of that, we're trying to be cautious, trying to be wise, trying to be prudent. And so we will begin meeting again as it stands today, May 17th, with socially distanced, with kids' classes and children resuming and baby nurseries and things like that resuming the first week of June. And so because of that, we encourage you to be a part of that where you fit in. And I'm not in any way trying to encourage you to come back early. I want you to come back and be a part of that when you feel safe. And just know, man, we're still connected. We are still getting the word out and I'm still hearing from you. And I really appreciate that. Listen, y'all, thanks for the extra time in the family meeting today. If you have any questions, you can call me, you can email me and make sure that you're staying connected with us because we may update these things and we may change them and you may not get the word because you're not on our mailing list. That's on you. You gotta reach out and let us know how to get in touch with you. So reach out to me, reach out to the church and let's stay connected in this time. Let me just remind you, I'm gonna say it one more time. Love you guys, man. Y'all are the best. I don't want to be anywhere else but with you guys as we end this quarantine time. So let's stay connected. Let's stay encouraged. And let's always remember, this is not a surprise to God. And God is in control. And so let's give him praise and glory. All right. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I missed, uh, I, I tested positive for missing my homies. I just want y'all to know that. So we're looking forward to seeing you guys again here soon. God bless you. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you soon.